Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast, this time reviewing Mid-South Wrestling Television from May 28th, 1983, taped on May 25th, 1983 at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. I am the great Brian Last, and joining me again this week, as he does each and every week, you know him from Booking the Territory. Mike Mills. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great. We got a debut in this episode of someone who ends up becoming very popular in the world of professional wrestling. So I'm looking forward to discussing that. Also looking forward to hearing DiBiase be a bit of a weasel and, you know, come up with excuses and complaints and all those other things that he comes up with. But this is going to be another fun one as we get towards the summer of 1983 in Mid-South. We've got a lot going on. But we're going to see this heck of a debut and some other things on this week's episode, along with Bill Watts getting canceled in 2020. Well, maybe not, but we'll discuss that as we get to it. Well, we'll definitely discuss that when we get to it. We'll hear Cowboy Bill Watts discuss it, actually, when we get to it. But like you said, a big debut on the show. Also, a big moment, a union of sorts between a longtime babyface and a recent babyface who, boy, this TV taping exploded in popularity with the Mid-South fans. But before we get there... Let's go to the show open. Boyd Pierce and Cowboy Bill Watts, they're going to tell us what's coming up on the show, and they're actually going to shoot us to what they call a press conference. Other than the Mid-South Wrestling cameras, I don't know what other press was there, but a press conference with General Skandar Akbar and his crew. I guess his army, I should say. Let's go to this right now. A lot of excitement for you. You're going to see tag team action at its very best as a popular junkyard dog takes as his partner, Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch, against the Oriental team of the Black Ninja and Yoshi Yatsu. Popular stars Tito Santana is here. Johnny Rich and Tim Horner are partners against Mr. Olympia and the Herald Russian Boris Zirkov. Tom Jones versus King Kong Bundy. All the stars are here, and a star to tell you about it is Cowboy Bill Watts. Bill. Well, thank you, boy. It looks like a great night of action. Ted DiBiase, as everybody knows by now, has sustained a broken right hand. A lot of mystery clouds that issue. Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Dugan, when you talk to them individually, they claim that he's not really hurt, that the, it's got a little too hot in the kitchen when Hacksaw Dugan put the two-before to him, and DiBiase wants things to kind of cool down. But DiBiase and Agbar called a press conference prior to this taping, and Reeser Bowden was there. Just before the taping of our television program, General Skandor Akbar, as you might suspect, has demanded a press conference. Now, I don't know what this is all about, but as you can see, I have with me General Skandor Akbar, Ted DiBiase, Mr. Olympia, and a gentleman from Russia whom I do not know. That is why we're here. We want to introduce Boris Zirkov one of Russia's greatest heavyweight stars, and he is tenacious Reeser. You know, I thought by now, Teddy, that Mid-South would put an end to this Doug and commit him. This man is a menace to society, not only a disastrously attacked on myself, but tell him what happened, Teddy. Well, obviously, people, you can see by the cast of my hand that I am unable to wrestle. Well, you've already seen Duggan splinter a two-by-four on my back, but what you didn't see was this man attack me in a parking lot with a tire tool and break my right hand so I'm unable to wrestle. And being that I'm unable to wrestle, I can't defend the Mid-South Tag Team titles with my partner. So I know that Mid-South is sitting by drooling because of the stipulation that we must defend the titles at least once in a 30-day period or forfeit the titles. So they're standing by waiting for us to forfeit the titles. But due to the ingenuity 
and the money and power and influence of General Skandar Akbar. He has brought this man, Boris Zirkov, from Russia, and I am giving him power of attorney to take my place in all tag team title matches. That means, Mid-South, if you want to book a tag team title match, go right ahead because this man will be there to fulfill that commitment. And we do have a title defense in two weeks with Murdoch and the Junkyard Dog. Murdoch and Junkyard Dog, and we've got two weeks to fine-tune this machine. Well, that says it all, so watch for him in two weeks. You'll see a championship bout. Well, there you hear him, and uh, so be it. Let's go to the ring. Reese Bowden with the first bout. Well, there it is, Mike. The press conference of sorts with General Skandar Akbar, Ted DiBiase, Mr. Olympia, and making his debut in Mid-South, Boris Zerkov, later, of course, to be Boris Zukov. I could be wrong, but I think this is the first place that Jim Nelson did his Russian gimmick, the Boris Zerkov in this case, because he had been in Mid-Atlantic. I think he had been wrestling in Toronto right before this as Jim Nelson still. Uh, I may be wrong. I know he would eventually go to Southeastern and make some appearances in Texas, but I think this may be the first place he had his Russian gimmick. I was trying to remember when he first showed up in world-class with the Russian gimmick, and I mean, I know, I feel like it's right around this same time. So I think you're right. Not 100% sure, but I think you're right related to the first time. Um, he never did it for me. Zerkov, that is. I just, it's one of those things I just couldn't get into. Uh, how about you? Before we recap this promo or press conference, I mean, what did you think of him in this gimmick? I didn't mind him in the early part of his career. I thought he was good here, uh, you know, relatively. I thought he was good in Southeastern. In the late 80s in the WWF, I wasn't a fan of his, but they, you know, they used him as a jobber to the stars, really. The first show I ever went to had Jimmy Snooker versus the Honky Tonk Man, and Honky Tonk no-showed, and it was Jimmy versus Boris Zukov instead, and we knew who was going to win. There was no question who was going to win, and I wasn't a fan of him and Nikolai as a tag team, but it really had nothing to do with him. It was the way he was used, and I think when you see some of his earlier stuff, you see that if he was used better, he probably could have done better in wrestling. I mean, he was a good wrestler in the ring. I mean, he was good in Mid-Atlantic as Private Jim Nelson. See, that's a good, that's a good point when you state it like that. I mean, I, I, because what happens when you put this Russian gimmick on him, and I know I saw this before I saw the likes of, you know, Ivan and Nikita. I just look at him and I go, God, I think of Ivan. Like, to me, the standard Russian gimmick is Ivan. I, I don't – it's just the way he spoke, his mannerisms. I feel like Ivan Koloff is is the man when it comes to that. And then even later on, you know, I saw him – I saw Zerkov here first. I can always think of, well, like Nikolai was better as a Russian. And even Nikita, until he started cutting too many promos, was better as a Russian. Uh, I'll give Zerkov this. He 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 was definitely better than the um, oh god, uh, his name's drawn a blank. Uh, who filled in for Nikita when uh, when he turned babyface? What's the guy? He showed up in January of '87. Brian Vladimir Petrov. Oh god, Petrov was terrible. So hey, I'll give you another one. He's better than member in Mid South in '82. Vladik Smirnov. Well, there you go. He's better than him too. The future Korstia Korchenko was in there, and he was awful. 
That's a, that's a great point too. <laughs> he was better than him. So I guess in my mind, I'm, I'm realizing it as I'm talking about it. I kind of start every time I've seen a, I've seen a Russian gimmick, I start comparing them at this day and age of what I looked at as the standard of the Russian gimmick, which I felt was always Ivan in my mind, and then you know Nikolai and Nikita again, Nikita before he started talking. But this guy is definitely better than Pietrov. And, oh, my God, the guy we talked about in 82 in Mid-South. Oh, yeah, definitely terrible. But all in all, I do want to put over Ted DiBiase here. He's just being a weasel, the broken hand, and just, oh, you know, I got attacked with a with, with a tire iron. And it, it's just uh, – he's so slimy and sleazy when it, when it comes to this. And I just think we need to get Stephen P. New on his job and maybe check to see if DiBiase can give – power of attorney, like he's saying, for Zerkov to defend the titles. I don't know if that's a legal thing you're allowed to do. Seems kind of sleazy, so I think we need to get up. Seems fishy. How do you do that? Power of attorney, the tag team champions, this guy's going to fill in for him. Right. That seems kind of fishy. So, Stephen P. New, we need to get him on the job, Brian. I need you to call him later today and uh, get this squared away. But overall, though, really good promo there from DiBiase saying how he can't wrestle because he's got this cast. And, you know, that's that. I just thought this was really good from DiBiase. Goes along with the character he is at this point in time. Going into that press conference, Bill Watts says, as we all know by now, Ted DiBiase broke his hand. Was there any announcement made on last week's show? I don't remember it. I, I didn't remember it either. Okay, I guess maybe just Bill Watts, because they were doing things out of sequence, phrased it that way because the press conference was taped, obviously, before they taped the open of the show. Yeah. But we didn't know beforehand that Ted DiBiase had a broken hand. That felt like, you know, I I didn't remember that either. And I thought they covered well. And I thought DiBiase's explanation, you know, he was attacked with a tire tool by Duggan, which goes along also with the heat that those two have together. So I I thought I agree. I, I don't think they I don't I didn't remember them saying it last week. Well, coming out of that, we get our first match. Mr. Olympia and Boris Zerkoff with Ted DiBiase and Skandar Akbar versus Tim Horner and Johnny Rich, Alfred Neely, the referee. Reese Bowden says this is a non-title match. So even right here, Boris Zerkoff using that power of attorney to represent one half of the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions. A good match. I thought Tim Horner looked especially good here. But let's get a little bit of audio from the Cowboy about Ted DiBiase's apparent injury and Boris Zerkov taking his place. Well, we heard the reason behind it, uh, DiBiase ascertaining that uh, Dugan attacked him in a parking lot with a tire iron. I don't know about that. I certainly know that Dugan's ready to fight at any time in any place, and he used a two-before on DiBiase here on Mid-South Wrestling. Uh, but I can guarantee you one thing, that red Russian flag will bring red to the eyes of Hacksaw Dugan because he has made his point about Akbar and his foreigners. And I think he's made it crystal clear, and that's what caused the rift in the rat pack. And apparently DiBiase and Akbar want to fan that flame as long as they both can sit outside the ring and don't have to be a combatant. Tremendous young team, Johnny Rich, the cousin of Wildfire Tommy Rich. And Tim Horner, I'll tell you, these are two young gentlemen that'll go out and test you. They'll give it their all. And this Boris Zerkov now and Mr. Olympia will be representing the Mid-South Tag Team Champions. And in two weeks, right here on Mid-South TV, they're to wrestle Junkyard Dog and Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch for the Mid-South Tag Team title. Well, there we hear it a little bit on commentary. Good match. What did you think of the match? Any notes or thoughts about it? Well, first on the commentary, you know, I, I feel like Watts definitely doesn't believe DiBiase here. He just thinks he's trying to pull another fast one. Uh, I love that Watts says that the red Russian flag will turn, uh, you know, Duggan's eyes red. 
Uh, I thought Horner and Rich gave them a good fight. I mean, it was a short TV match, which you can expect usually on Mid-South. I mean, we don't get these, you know, 20 and 30 minute matches. It's just not conducive to a, uh, you know, a TV match. But I thought the match was good. You know, I, it was I, more than actually what you'd expect. They they fought back, they being Horner and Rich. Horner hits Olympia with that Fez press uh, near the finish and Olympia uh, but Olympia wasn't the legal man. Then Zerkoff goes and kicks Horner in the back of the head. Zerkoff then hits Horner with the knee drop off the second rope and pins Horner. But overall, I thought Horner and Rich held their own. Good fight. Uh, good quick match for TV. And uh, if anything, Horner and Rich, they, they look pretty good against uh, the quote-unquote tag champs if you do want to think that the it is legal for Zerkoff to be given power of attorney to defend the title, even though this was a non-title match. Coming out of that, we got our next match. Hacksaw Duggan versus Tony Zane with Rick Ferreira as the referee. I don't have any notes about the match. It's pretty quick other than the fans are going nuts for Hacksaw Duggan by this point in time. Yeah, this is good. I mean, the crowd is chanting, you know, Dugan, Dugan, as he makes his way to the ring. Reese or Bowden, he couldn't even finish announcing who was in the match before Duggan just... He's just a rabid dog. He's an animal. And I don't say dog in the terms of JYD. He's just a, he's just an animal, man. The way he's going on the attack. You know, he's no nonsense. I'm here for business. You know, Watts does talk about Duggan being ticked off with DiBiase and Akbar and how Duggan is angry with DiBiase for basically lying to him about being involved with Akbar. So, I mean, it goes, you know, Watts is still telling that story and saying, hey, if you've basically he's saying, if you've been missing this show, he being Duggan is just really, really angry, and he's taking it out on everyone. Uh, Duggan ends up hitting Zane with a spear to the head, and Watts says it looks like Zane has been kissed by a Mack truck. Other than that, nothing else, but the crowd is they're on fire, man. Duggan is white hot right now. Hacksaw Duggan wins with the spear, and then we go into our next match, or we thought we were going to. It's supposed to be Junkyard Dog and Dick Murdoch versus Kendo Nagasaki and Yoshi Yatsu. Now, let me ask you before we talk about any of this and play some audio here, Mike. Did they say previously, like last week, that Dick Murdoch was going to be here? Once again, I don't recall that. If if they did, it's just something we missed. I mean, we, you know how it is, Brian. I mean, we watch these a couple at a time, and then we and then we record them, and then we record the next. So it's, I, but I don't remember them saying it. If they did, forgive me. Uh, we we're, we're, we're just don't remember. But I don't I don't remember that at all. Well, we have in the ring the Junkyard Dog, and they announced that Dick Murdoch isn't there. And because of that, they need to pick a new partner for the Junkyard Dog, and they're going to do it the Democratic way. They're going to let the fans pick who the partner will be. Now, this could always backfire on the promotion. They can go for the guy you don't want them to go for. But in this case, there is someone white hot that the fans just can't wait to go crazy for. Let's hear this. As you can see, the Junkyard Dog is in the ring with me right now because the Junkyard Dog was scheduled to have as his partner for a tag team bout tonight, Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch. Now, this is very important because two weeks from now, whoever was to be uh, Junkyard Dog's partner would also participate in a tag team title bout with the Junkyard Dog. Well, it turns out that for some reason or other, Dick Murdoch did not show up tonight. So we've decided that to be very democratic about everything, we're going to let the fans here help to choose a partner for the Junkyard Dog, not only for tonight's match, but also for the tag team title bout two weeks from now. So let's see who the first contestant will be to vie for that position as the Junkyard Dog's partner. 
And by the amount of applause of the audience here tonight, we will select a partner for the Junkyard Dog. And coming to the ring right now, let's hear an applause for Johnny Rich. Another very fine athlete coming to the ring right now. Tom Jones. And here comes a well-known man, Tito Santana. And Hacksaw Butch Reed. That's a good applause. But I believe that there is yet one more. And here he comes right now. You can hear it for yourself. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Can there be any doubt about that applause? It looks like Hacksaw Duggan will be the partner of the Junkyard Dog. Not only in tonight's bout, but also two weeks from now for the Mid-South Tag Team title. Well, there it is, Mike. A bunch of baby faces come to the ring. The applauses get a little bit more with each guy. They really like Tito Santana. They really like Hacksaw Butch Reed. But Hacksaw Duggan comes out, and they lose their minds. And one other small thing that I think is really cool here, you know, they've kept the babyface Hacksaw Duggan away from the Junkyard Dog on all these shows. There have been a lot of episodes where the Junkyard Dog's just not on them. You know, not counting for local promos that aired, but he's not on the main body of the show as the big Hacksaw Duggan babyface turn and then the early days of his babyface run have been happening. So this is the first time we've seen them in the ring together. They don't embrace. I mean, they have a history. Hacksaw Duggan dressed as a gorilla. He cost the Junkyard Dog 90 days. They have a history but they kind of look at each other and it's like this mutual respect. Like, okay, are you going to be with me? And the other one nods his head. What did you think of that? It is interesting because they're probably a good six feet apart as Reese Bowden is calling for the participants that they're about to wrestle, uh, which ends up being uh, Yoshi Yatsu and Kendo Nagasaki, the black ninja. And it's very interesting when you watch it because Duggan is to the left behind Reeser, uh, to, le to the left behind Reeser. Dog is to the right behind Reeser. And Duggan is staring at him, like like facing him. Dog is at an angle facing to where Reeser is and their opponents are coming from. And Duggan kind of like puts his, he doesn't put his hand out to shake it, but like extends his hand openly and kind of gives almost not a thumbs up, but like an okay sign. And then Dog kind of just nods back in a way. It's not like, yeah, we're going to do this. Like, you yeah, know, we're, we're one team type thing. They're not angry at all. They nod and acknowledge each other. But it's very much different than a quote-unquote team would do if, if it was two guys who definitely were in sync. So it's interesting the way they kind of do that and that, that interplay that you can't hear in that audio with those two. And then even as the match gets started, 
as they kind of, um, you know, throw Yatsu and, and Black Ninja out of the ring as they come into the ring, they also stare at each other again. And Duggan does his stomp and JYD kind of, you know, hits his howl. But they, it's no like hand slap, no high five, no embrace. They're just kind of like staring at each other. It's very, it's very, very cool the way they do it. And also interesting because it's not something you see often. Uh, whenever you're talking about uh, two main baby faces that are partnering up. And, I mean, they, they go along with this for a while, too, as this match gets started. I mean, even then, they still never high-five or anything. They're just kind of like, yeah, we're going to do this together. Is that making sense, Brian? Well, I think it's the way it should be done. It used to drive me crazy. Like, I remember Randy Savage had a big feud of Ricky Steamboat. And then later on that year at the Survivor Series, they're on the same team slapping each other's back. Paul Orndorff and Hogan, later on that same year at Survivor Series, they're on the same team. And, I mean, there are other examples of that, but those two come to my mind right away, where all of a sudden, hated enemies just get along perfectly fine for a throwaway match at the Survivor Series. Here's a case where there's a history. This guy was a member of the Rat Pack, and now they're together, and obviously the dog acknowledges that Duggan's in a feud now with Akbar and DiBiase, but there's no, it's not really chummy-chummy. They have to earn each other's trust, and I think this is just the perfect way to do it. You know where else this was done well? Um, cheap plug for my Smoky Mountain shows. <laughs> this was done well with Dirty White Boy and Tracy Smothers and Smoky Mountain. Like they had that history of bad blood, uh, the angle that they did, the chain match that they did, Bluegrass Brawl. Forget the year. I guess it was 93. So like it was done in Smoky Mountain similar to this. And they were kind of like the same way for a while. Tracy just was like, dude, I. I know you say you've changed and your actions show it, but Tracy wasn't just like turning the faucet off and like, yeah, I'm going to shake your hand and we're going to do this together. Like it just, there was a lack of trust and it was okay. I'll stand with you, but I still am mindful of the fact of all the terrible things you did to me. And in this case, like you said, with the dog, the way Duggan dressed up as the gorilla and double cross, not double crossed them, but you know what I mean. He sent them packing basically for 60 or 90 days. I can't remember which one it was. It's that same concept. Like Tracy and Dirty White Boy did this too. So I agree. You can't just say, oh, yeah, we're great friends. And now that's it. Uh, everything I did to you is water under the bridge. Because that's not how it works in real life. In real life, if somebody crosses you and does you wrong, you'll hold on to that anger for a while. Sometimes years. Some people never forgive people for the things that they've done. And you got to say at the end of the day, that's that's like the way they did it here is actually how it would work in real life. You're not just going to say, oh, yeah, let's let bygones be bygones. You screwed me, but that's OK. We're friends now. We're going to do this together. That's not how it was. And they did it really, really well here. You know, they they showed that, OK, we'll team up, but it's going to take a while for me to, quote unquote, forgive you and, and move forward. And that, they were really good. This whole and they did it the whole match, Brian, even at the end. Even at the very end, they're still circling each other. I think they eventually high five, but you know, or give give each other five. But at the end, they're they're still kind of like circling each other, like, huh? All right, maybe you are trustworthy, but we'll see. Let's hear some audio from this match. Cowboy Bill Watts talking a little bit about what's going on and Jim Duggan getting picked by the fans. Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Duggan versus Kendo Nagasaki and Yoshiyatsu. Alfred Neely with the bell, and once again, it starts, Bill. Well, you heard the crowd. It was by unanimous decision. They wanted Dugan. And this is the surprise. I 
Dick Murdoch missed his plane. We don't know what we held up the taping as long as we could, but it didn't come in. Grizzly Smith said, let's give the crowd a chance to pick, pick Junkyard Dog's partner for that important title mount match. And we had some great selections. Tom Jones, Johnny Rich, Tito Santana, Hacksaw Butch Reed. They looked like he was the number one in there, Hacksaw Reed. But then when the crowd started chanting, Dugan, Dugan, and apparently that's what it is. And these two Oriental athletes went right into a buzzsaw with JYD and Hacksaw Jim Dugan. There's the, the Black Ninja. And Dugan is flat taking it to him. First elbow. A thrust kick. Yoshi Yatsu throwing those chops in there. Dugan stamps it and he comes up on Yoshi Yatsu and he shows a dog can use his head. There's a lot of things going on in Mid-South right now. Whoever thought you'd see oil and water mixing out there, the Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Dugan. Except funny thing, it Hacksaw Dugan and the Junkyard Dog both have a score to settle with two people. One Skandar Akbar and one Ted DiBiase. And there's the spirit, Dugan just leveled Yossi Yatsu. And there's the team, and that's the team that two weeks from tonight will be against the Mid-South Tag Champions here on television, and it doesn't look like they've had enough, and Dugan just speared the Black Ninja. And proving their superiority, a tremendous victory for an outstanding team, the Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Jim Dugan will be returned after this important word. Well, there it is, a victory for the Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Duggan. I do love that moment where they kind of look at each other, and Duggan does his stomp, and the dog responds with his howl. It's kind of the moment of the two of them coming together. But really cool. And the fans are just going nuts. The fans are just so into this. Duggan is on the path to being the biggest babyface in Mid-South, which I think you could say he certainly was once Junkyard Dog left a year later. But it was probably neck and neck, especially in the Oklahoma cities. After this, Axel Duggan just took off in popularity. Oh, yeah. he, he He's a... He's a, like they say in the Sopranos, he's a made man. I mean, he's he's a made man at this point. You can, there's no stopping him unless he works for WWE nowadays. There's no there's no taking the steam off of him uh, at this point. I, I agree like you. I like the moment when they do the stomp and the howl at the beginning after clearing the ring. And then at the very end, they do something similar. They circle each other in the ring, even though they've just won and Duggan's uh, made the pin. They circle each other in the ring. Duggan does the stomp again, and then they finally kind of like, you know, uh, uh, slap hands. I mean, they, they tagged during the match, so they slapped hands there, obviously, but they slap hands and say, okay, and they nod at each other again to like, you know, give each other credit. All right, well, we'll see. We'll see if we can make this happen. Okay, we're good here. We're good here for the moment. I mean, it's not total forgiveness, but they're good for the moment. So, we'll, I mean, we'll just see, man, but they did this really, really well. Two guys who were at odds to each other, and now all of a sudden they're tagging up. And like you said, they show that shot of the crowd at the pinfall or as this is all breaking down. And my God, the bleachers are up and cheering. They are loving this. You cannot tell them this is not one of the best things they've ever seen with their own eyes. Really great stuff there. It's really fun to watch the reaction to Hacksaw Duggan grow each and every week. Coming out of that match, Mike, we get 
Tito Santana versus Rip Rogers. I believe this is Tito's first match in the Irish McNeil Boys Club. We saw him in clips from the Superdome, I believe. But I think this is his first match at the Boys Club. Rick Ferreira, the referee. Let's hear a little bit of audio from Cowboy Bill Watts about Tito Santana, Chavo Guerrero, and the problem that El Gran Marcus has with them. Listen to this. Tito Santana, tremendous young athlete. Mexican-American, born right here in the United States, played football at West Texas State University, was a great receiver, a fine blocking tight end, become one of the true superstars today in pro wrestling. El Gran Marcus is here. There's a little bit going on between El Gran Marcus and Tito Santana. El Gran Marcus says Tito Santana and Chavo Guerrero are mojados, which is the Mexican equivalent of a wetback. He says the Mexicans that were born in this country or left the country of Mexico or are cowards and wetbacks and traitors to their country. And, of course, I think all the Mexican-Americans that live here in this country came because they thought they had a better chance and that it was a better place to live, that they still love their country that they came from, as does everybody that has come from a foreign country to this country. You know, when people start talking about the foreigners coming here, they forget that this whole country was a great a chef's salad of all the foreign countries that came here and kept their kept their traditions and their heritage and that's what built america and made it strong well there you hear it the cowboy this country not a melting pot but a chef's salad <laughs> i don't know where to start brian i really don't um what do you think? What do you think about that? Let me. You don't use the story to me. I, I think you're going to start. I think I'm going to let you start with this one. <laughs> um, I don't know what to say other than to say, to be frank, I can only imagine if Watts or any commentator mentioned that W word that we just heard on television in 2020. I can only imagine the. The, the reaction it would get from the social media world and the world in general. Um, this is definitely interesting to the way he described Tito and Chavo. Uh, and, and here's what I did. As soon as I heard that, I immediately thought, man, what if we were watching, I'm going to say WWE. What if we were watching AEW and Tony Schiavone or JR mentioned that W word in talking about what's the Lucha team in, in AEW? Uh, why am I drawing a blank? All off? The Lucha brothers. The, yeah. Yeah. Like what if, <laughs> what if like J.R. Shivani said that at like in 2020, like that was what I immediately thought. And it's a, and really to be fair, you can't really compare eras and decades because the standards are different. So like, you can't look back at this and go, Oh my God, why did he say that? But you kind of can say that because then you start thinking, well, what if they said that in 2020, this is just one of those things where you just go, wow, man, times were really different. This was a different place. This was a different time. So there's that aspect of saying that W word. And then the other thing that I thought of was, boy, imagine the commentator talking about, what Watts talked about there with the, these Mexican guys coming into America, given our current 
climate. I don't want to get political here, but imagine like if on a wrestling show, again, Tony Schiavone and JR went there talking about the Lucha Brothers in the same context that Watts was talking about Tito and Chavo here uh, coming to America and being citizens and all that. I don't even know if the Lucha Brothers are American citizens. I'm I'm not even going to go there. I have no idea. Uh, But my point is like, God, the world was so much different in 1983 based on that W word that Watts used. uh, And then, you know, him talking about them and making America strong and, you know, they paid their dues and they came here and they worked hard. Just a, a, a really captivating little over, you know, a minute and a half right there, I guess, from Watts. Just that's my thoughts. Brian, yours. What do you think? Well, again, he's not calling them Mojados. He's saying that El Grand Marcus, who obviously is a Mexican wrestler who I guess his greatest fame in the United States would probably be in Houston, Texas, where he was a dynamite heel. I talked to Tom Pritchard about that a long time ago on 605. Talked to Peter Burkholz about it, too where they said El Gran Marcus got the most amount of heat. And you could see why. If you're a Latino fan, and he's calling the other Latino babyfaces like Tito Santana and Chavo Guerrero mojados, yeah. that's heat. I mean, remember, El Gringos Locos got over by doing a very similar thing. Eddie Guerrero and Art Barr. Of course, Art Barr was an American, but Eddie Guerrero was the son of Gory Guerrero. And they're loving America, and they would, they would uh, feign doing a backstroke, trying to say that the fans had to swim over the border to get here. Jesus. So, I mean, you know, it's something that's been done. And I think it is important to note that, though. It's not Bill Watts calling them that. It's Bill Watts stating that El Gran Marcus is saying this about them. That's a good point. And, of course, Bill Watts puts over the United States that it is a melting pot or a chef salad. Of course, he mentioned maybe a year ago on the show his wife was from Estonia. Yeah. So he has personal experience with someone from another country coming here and bringing their customs and traditions. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else there is to say about this. Well, and I think you make a great point. So I, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, Bill Watts did not call them uh, the W word or mojados. Uh, Watts actually did quite well to defend Tito and Chavo as great people, and Watts you know, then gives us a lesson on how we are all from different places. And that's what makes America so strong as he, you know, credited Tito and Chavo for being hardworking men and Americans. So, I mean, Watts is, Watts is putting them over and he's not using that word in a derogatory term. He's like you said, explaining that that's what grand Marcus thought of them. And again, I can see how, yes, that would get some nuclear heat uh, from them. So this, or, you know, towards grand Marcus, this is, de- but again, it is something else to hear that type of commentary in 1983. And I mean, I watched these shows in 1983. I was eight years old. I didn't think anything. I, I don't even remember him saying this. I don't even remember him talking about his, his wife and uh, being from Estonia. I, I don't, you know, that stuff is, you're just a young kid. You're watching it. It just kind of flies over your head. But when you watch it as a 40 plus year old person living in America in our current climate, you hear that you're like, whoa, what did Watts say? Um, but I'm glad you clarified the point that he was saying, Grand Marcus, that was his thoughts on Tito and Chavo. And when Watts, to his credit, did defend Tito and Chavo as being hardworking men. Any thoughts on the actual match, Tito Santana versus Rip Rogers? Uh, the only thing I had was uh, Tito wins with that spinning toe hold into a bridge pinfall. And when he bridges back, oh, my God, uh, he, he basically took out um, – was it referee Ricky Ferrar? They they collided uh, with each other. Like Tito's left 
shoulder flies back into Ricky Ferrara's head. Uh, he almost they almost knocked each other out as Tito bridged back and I mean just flew backwards. Did you catch that? I did. Now that's the Gibson leg lock, correct? Uh, that's it's a, yeah. And I, I didn't want to call it that, but I, I called it the, the way he spun into it. That's why I called it like the, the, the way, it, I guess that's why I said spin and toe. He, he really spun into it really like emphatically. And then he bridged back with more emphasis than I guess the Gibson leg lock would or the fuller or the fuller leg lock as well. But did fuller bridge? Well, the fuller leg lock, yeah, the fuller leg lock didn't have a bridge and it was kind of done from a standing position. I thought Tito was going for the figure four at first. Because later on in his career, he would always use that, and he would begin with the spinning toe hold the same way he did here. Obviously, there's no bridge there, and the thing about the Gibson leg lock is the referee, or actually in that case, the other brother, usually had to help the other brother up, because once you're in that bridge, it's pretty hard to get out of that. Yes. You got to have some strength to get up from it. the way you're bridged and your leg is locked to the other guy. I mean, even in this instance, Ricky Ferrara, Tito kind of he's able to get himself out as he falls to his right. But he, he can't get his leg removed. He, he Ricky Ferrara has to dislodge Rip Rogers's leg, left leg from Tito's the way they were interlocked there. Coming out of that match, we get our next one. King Kong Bundy versus Tom Jones. Alfred Neely is the referee. Let's hear some audio here because. We get this match and then a challenge and another match. So without spoiling anything, let's hear this. We'll talk about all this on the other side. Bundy to waste no time in getting after Tom Jones. You know, Tom Jones, a top main eventer. And he's come back to Mid-South, and this is his first test on Mid-South, and it's an awesome one. King Kong Bundy, you know, a lot of manipulation. I was surprised that Bundy wasn't the man that DiBiase put in the position he put Zerkov in. But I understand that Bundy didn't want to be tied to that tag team title. And Bundy says, I'm here to take on a lot of people. But he said, I'm after the North American title. And he's still enough of his own man that he doesn't want to be that closely tied to Agbar and DiBiase. He said he'll sell his services at the proper time. But he wants JYD, the North American title. And he says, I'm going to beat JYD for that title for a five count. If I don't take five counts on him when I win that title, then I don't win the title. He said, that's an official and it's in every one of my contracts. So Bundy, a confident, powerful man, an awesome man, a man that steamrolled everybody. We know he has the size and the strength. I don't think he's been completely tested as far as just pure old deep toughness. But it's 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 happening. It's, it, the challenges are on. He's, he's been running his mouth about wrestling too and about Hacksaw Butch Reed. I see Akbar coming out to ringside and watching Bundy closely. I know the general would love nothing better than to get Bundy. Whoa, he went the Bundy with the Bulldog. I've not seen. The big man's got a repertoire. He's got a lot of things that, that people don't realize. He shows agility. He shows a surprising amount of skills. He can use the brute force. And there goes the avalanche, that hold that he developed himself. Of course, Steve, Dr. Death Williams also has it. It's called a stampede. He holds the referee. Three plus two is five, Bill. Count of three, and he wants the five count on his opponents, and he got it. And a victory for King Kong Bundy. Well, you know, Tom Jones is, like I say, he's a main eventer in a lot of places. You see right now this caliber of competition on Mid-South. Tom Jones didn't even last five minutes with Bundy. Hacksaw Butch Reed in the ring, and he looks a little upset. He's called... Reese or Bowden into the ring. Boyd, we were getting ready to go to our station break. Let's just wait a second here. I want to tell you something. You know, down there at Mid-South Wrestling is one of the toughest wrestling promotions there is in the world. 
And you cannot be number, number one by sitting back in the background. You know, the dog a while ago had to make a decision to go at Dugan because that's what the people wanted him to do. So I tell you this, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out here, if you know what I mean. And so in order for me, I don't come down here to Mid-South Wrestling to play second fiddle to nobody. So I'm going to the top, Risa. And in order for me to go, go to the top, I got to take on the best competition there is. I want Bundy back out here. You just seen him beat, you just seen him beat the brother Tom Jones. You just seen him beat Tom Jones. I want him to climb on this brother. Come on out there and face this brick house. Come on out there, Bundy. I want you. Well, you certainly heard that challenge loud and clear. Hacksaw Butch Reed says that he wants King Kong Bundy, and he wants him right now. Well, I don't know whether King Kong Bundy is in the mood for another I match. I wish with a personal challenge to King Kong Bundy to show his manhood and come on out here and face me. Come on, Bundy. Well, I see him coming. Let's see if he's going to accept that challenge. This match, of course, has not been recognized. It has not been signed. Well, Risa, you better get your tiny self out of that ring because I don't care whether it's recognized or signed, it's cooking. Exactly. Alfred Neely calls for the bell, so the match is on whether it's signed, sanctioned, or not, Bill. Well, you heard that all great All-American football player, former pro football player for the Kansas City Chiefs, and what he thinks and what he feels, and he issued a challenge. And Bundy, he's talking about moving up the ladder, and Reed's talking about, whoa! He ducked under that soup bone, and he's got Reed in a bear hug. And Bundy crushes him with 420 into the corner. I didn't think Bundy had come back out of the dressing room. He certainly didn't have to. They aren't getting paid for this match. It's not a signed match. This is just, this is raw emotion. This is human feeling. This is two athletes wanting to tear each other apart to move up to get that North American title. You heard Reed say he's not going to be second fiddle to anybody. Bundy is pounding him now. Reed has bit off a big hunk out there. We're going to see who's tough. This could be a true test of the toughness. A look at Bundy, he picked Reed up, but he lost Reed. And Reed caught him with that Super Bowl forearm. And this crowd is just in pandemonium. This is a bonus, this is something that wasn't even signed. Dropkick, Reed has got all the, all the abilities, all the skills, he's a fantastic athlete. That dropkick didn't have the power to knock Bundy off, but Reed caught Bundy. He put him he outside him. the ring, Bill. He caught Bundy with that slingshot. And the big Bundy, I don't think I've ever seen him even knocked off his feet on TV. But you see how agile he is for 420. Even though he went through the ropes, it was like a cat right down on two feet. Bundy's got that steel chair that Akbar was sitting in. And Neely's trying to get it. And Reed's trying to get it. Now they're fighting over it. And Reed, Reed really popped Bundy. He's laying it one to him. But he hadn't been able to knock him down. He flattened him there. Reed's got him down for the count. Neely's going for the count, but Bundy powered out. Reed's on top of Neely, but Bundy's groggy. Now, he's going to the top. He hit him with that, he hit him with that slingshot, but that tremendous mass hitting 420. He hit him so hard that it spun him right out onto the floor. And Butch Reed is laying on the floor. Bundy's stunned, Neely is stunned. Everybody's standing, holding their breath. 
Bunny's getting to his feet. Bunda's looking for Reed. Bunda splashes him. They get really hurt, Reed. Reed would have had Bundy beat, I feel, if that mass hadn't saved him. Bundy said, go for the five. And it's a five count, and Hacksaw Butch Reed. Boyd Pierce, Bundy, that's an unofficial match. But King Kong, I'll tell you, he proved to me he's tough. The man hit him three times with a steel chair, that slingshot off the top rope, and Bundy is the victor again. He's beat two men right in a row and we have time we have more action coming up after this important match well there you hear it mike king kong bundy and hacksaw butch reed of course a victory good job by alfred neely of missing the two things he needed to miss which were hacksaw reed using the chair on bundy and then hacksaw reed coming off the top rope which of course is illegal in mid-south wrestling but there's a big mystery here and i pointed this out to you before we started recording when Butch Reed is doing his promo in the ring with Reese Bowden challenging King Kong Bundy, they use a camera shot from the side, from the right side. And it appears that there is a man sitting all the way at the end with glasses and a cowboy hat. It appears to be an older white man. And this possibly could be Hank. Now, they go on the wide shot to that same area a minute later and the guy is gone. He was in a plaid shirt too, I believe. There's a chance that Hank, who we haven't seen in months, is sitting somewhere at the end, but then of course he vanishes. It could be the ghost of Hank, but did you, I mean, I know you didn't catch this because I pointed it out to you, but what did you think? I mean, you've had now some time to digest the idea that there is either Hank or someone who looks like Hank or the ghost of Hank sitting at ringside. I think as I rewatch this now for the 60th time, I think this is not Hank, but it can easily be taken as Hank because he's got the cowboy hat on the plaid hat. But let me tell you why I think it's not Hank. Hank always had a cigarette in his hand and this guy doesn't have a cigarette in his hand watching the wrestling. So, no, I don't know if that's why it's not Hank. He looks a tad bit younger than Hank. Now, I'm saying that looking at some grainy footage, but I think it's not him. However, it is very, very mysterious that this is literally the only angle or the only time in the episode where I think we see him. And what I mean by that is you're absolutely right. They shoot a wide shot to the bleachers multiple other times in this episode and you never see this guy in that chair that's all the way to the right so it's really really strange that he's in this shot and then he just disappears and we don't see him ever again so i don't know if it's hank but i feel like um this may be the ghost of hank i mean even when bundy flies out of the ring with reads i guess two drop kicks they go as wide as you can get to the right 
and you never see this guy in that chair. There's no, you don't even see He's the gone. hat. He's gone. He like disappears. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it is a, it is quite the mystery uh, for those who have been following us along throughout the beginning of this when we started in late '81. Where the hell Hank has gone? Because we haven't seen him in quite some time. Uh, there was one episode where I think we we saw him, but it was from an earlier taping um, that he appeared in that they were just airing out of order. But here is this man in this one shot, and then he disappears, and we don't see him again. And they even show a wider shot, and he just completely disappears. So, oh, the ghost of Hank is all I can really say. I don't know. I don't know if it's him. Certainly looks like him. And we'll have to see if this guy appears in any other tapings that we watch. One other piece of news about fans in the crowd. The yellow kid, (laughs) that annoying kid who used to do the walk like an Egyptian dance. He's wearing sunglasses now in the crowd. I don't know if he got into drugs or what his deal is, but all of a sudden he's wearing sunglasses in the crowd. Brylas has heat. The great Brylas has heat with the Pittsburgh Steelers kid in the front crowd because he's now wearing sunglasses. I love it. 2020 cover in Mid-South. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, real quick, Brian, is you played a lot of audio there, so I felt like there was a lot to unpack. I wanted to mention, in all seriousness, I thought Watts here was was really good. I really did. Like he he described why Bundy wasn't put in the position that Zerkoff was put in. And you know, he really does a good job explaining that, you know, Bundy wants to go after the North American title. He doesn't want to be tied down with tag titles, even though we have seen in the past you have had tag champions who have held singles titles in Mid-South. So I want I do realize that's the case. But maybe Watts at this point is trying to transition away from that. So he's saying, no, Bundy doesn't want to be, you know, held down by tag titles. He wants the big belt. He wants the North American title. And, and that's why he's, you know, not teaming with DiBiase. I thought that was a very good explanation. Did you catch that? And what did you think about that? Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, I think, I don't remember if it was this episode or next week's, but I think it may have been next week when Reeser Bowden introduces Bundy. He says from Devastation Incorporated, King Kong Bundy. And it appears that Bundy says to him, because you can hear it, but it's not clear. I'm not in that. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, no, good explanation why Bundy wouldn't be associated with DiBiase in a tag team title situation. And of course, uh, another chance to make him look strong. You pin Tom Jones, and then he pins Hacksaw Butch Reed, both get the five count. Until King Kong Bundy dumbs himself out of position, they are doing everything they can to get him over as a top heel. Yeah, and if you want to know what Brian's talking about with uh, Bundy dumbing himself out of position, uh, go listen. Just, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Go to the corny drive-thru and and just search uh, uh, Ernie Ladd, King Kong Bundy or something like that. You'll hear the the story uh, of uh, that. That's what you're referring to, right, Brian, when you say that? Yes, it is. Yes. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's what I thought, which is hilarious in its own way, on its own uh, merit. Uh, nobody can tell that story like Jim Cornette as he imitates Ernie Ladd uh, in what he what he told Bundy. So um, this was uh, as far as this match and this finish goes. Look, these are two big, just big men just killing each other and slugging it out. I thought it was well done. In today's, I want to be fair about something. I wonder what today's fans would say with Reed losing though. I wonder if fans today, if this would air, they'd be like, oh my God, they buried him. I don't think they buried him. I think a lot had to happen for Reed to eventually lose 
uh, right here. And again, they it was a quick, you know, four minute match, but they were they were throwing some haymakers. And I thought Bundy really made Reed look good as well, you know, especially that spill onto the floor when he when he drop kicked him. I guess it was two or three times. Reed being he drop kicked Bundy two or three times. I thought that was well done. It looked good. Bundy staggering back as the big man taking the big man flop outside. I thought this was good. What did you think, Brian? Yeah, I don't think you can really complain too much about it. Plus, in terms of Butch Reed losing, it makes sense if they already knew their long-term plan of turning him heel. Then you can get away with having him take a loss here because once he turns, it doesn't matter. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Well, coming out of that match, we get another one. The Super Destroyer versus Terry Allen making his debut here. Now, we're going to play some audio, but it's important to note that Terry Allen has not been built up. We didn't know anything about him. The people in the building don't know who he is. Unless you're listening at home to the commentary, you don't know anything about him. So it'd be very easy, watching this the first time, not knowing what his career would turn into, to just think this is another undercard guy. This is another one of these job guys that are in here to put over a star like the Super Destroyer. But that's not what happens. Let's hear some audio. Spinning under. Oh, Terry Allen, leg dived him and came right up over the top. Hip toss. Hip, another hip toss. I think the Super Destroyer is just a little bit surprised. He's trying to start getting into the rough stuff. Super Destroyer thought he had a cream puff out there. A guy has to come in and run over, but Terry Allen kind of gained a little respect. Oh, look at Terry Allen spring up there. Tremendous drop kick. Another drop kick. Arm drag. Oh, Terry Allen is not quick. He's sudden. He is moving at Super D. He wants to wait a minute. He wants to think it over. And while he's doing it, I'll let you folks at home. And Boyd Pierce, you almost let him in on a little bit of a surprise that Super D is not aware of. You know, these guys that get going around the main event of Super D and Superstar, and they go all over the world, and they think they know everybody and everything. Terry Allen, Dusty Rhodes, an old friend of mine, come, called me from Florida, and he said, you got a young kid that Griffin Smith has booked into Mid-South on television that's dynamite from Old Dominion. He wrestled in the college at Old Dominion. He's a tough kid. As a matter of fact, in Florida, he's known as Magnum T.A., Magnum Terry Allen. He's... So Super Destroyer may find himself in one tremendous contest here. And, of course, Grizzly Smith booked him up here and wanted to get a look at him. And so this is our first chance to see Magnum T.A. Backbreaker. you got to remember that Super Destroyer and Superstar were formerly world tag team champions off of Superstation. In Atlanta, Georgia. There he goes for that superplex. He set him up for that superplex. Terry Allen rakes his eyes and blinds him. And now Terry Allen's climbed to the top rope. And he's jumped over the top of Super D. And he's using that forearm. That hip toss, he's well skilled in this his abilities as a as a wrestler, we just got to see if he's tough enough to stay with a man like Super Destroyer, over 300 pounds, a tough campaigner. He uses that front maneuver. It's almost like a football tackle and a double leg dive, but when he gets underneath him, he drops him right over. They could land on their head, and he scooped Super D up 
for the atomic drop, and he's got he's got Super D beat right here. What an upset, what an upset. Or maybe as Dusty Rhodes said, it's not an upset. Maybe Dusty Rhodes, and you've got to believe it when he gives you a call and tells you somebody's a great one, that a, he's a great one. A tremendous star and a victory for Terry Allen, our Magnum TA, as he's called. We love him here on Mid-South, and we still have more action coming up after this word. Well, there it is, Mike, the debut of Terry Allen. He comes into the ring as Terry Allen. He leaves the ring as Magnum TA. The fans surprised by the victory and the first appearance of someone who would in the future be the North American champion. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, you don't – look, we were watching this on TV. We see Super Destroyer against some guy named Terry Allen who – I mean, he, you know, he had a decent physique, and it's 1983. I mean, he's not built like a, a bodybuilder. He's not Tony Atlas or, or anybody like that. But, you know, his physique was fine. He had a – he had a, you know, he had a good look to him. So, um, but nowhere did we think this guy is about to beat the Super Destroyer. You're just watching, you know, Super Destroyer, and he's probably going to beat this Terry Allen guy in a three, four, five minute match, however long it will take him, and that's that. I mean, we didn't. The Super Destroyer wasn't a, a mega star in Mid South, but I mean, he certainly was one of the guys you looked at and was like, oh yeah, he's over. Uh, so you didn't think he'd beat Terry Allen here, but little did we know, as Watts talked about right there, after a series of good, good moves from from Magnum right there, Watts mentions that Magnum is a good friend of Dusty Rhodes, and Dusty called Watts to tell Watts about this kid. And, you know, he comes in, and and here you go. We see him win with none other than the atomic drop. So he's not doing the uh, belly-to-belly at this point, just a simple atomic drop. No one saw that coming at all, I would think, if you – Say you saw that coming now, I think you're lying. We did not think that was coming, but there you have it. Terry Allen has uh, become Magnum TA right before our eyes right here. Our next match on the show, our final match on the show, El Gran Marcus versus Art Cruz, Alfred Neely as the referee. El Gran Marcus ends up winning. I'll let you talk a little bit about the match, but the big news here is on commentary once again, Cowboy Bill Watts reiterates that El Gran Marcus thinks that Chavo and Tito are Mujados. And there's more of that that you listen to if you want to go to the network. And this is on the network. It's amazing. <laughs> listen to this. But, Mike, any thoughts on the match? No, I, I the only thoughts I actually had was the fact that Watts, he talked about a number of topics, but he brought back up again, you know, Grand Marcus calling Tito and Chavo Mojados. And he also mentions a few things about Magnum there and the thoughts on the tag title situation that we're dealing with. But I don't really have anything from it other than Grand Marcus wins by pin. And that was pretty much it. Well, let's go from that to the close of the show. Find out what's in store for us next week. Here it is. Pierce, we have El Grand Marcus impressing us right here and showing us that he's come to Mid-South to start trying everybody out. And maybe uh, Tito Santana and Chavo Guerrero. Of course, Chavo is on a recuperative leave right now as in Houston, Texas. Uh, they used El Grand Marcus's bait. Chavo signed the match, and then DBS and Olympia went out there and... Uh, doubled up on Chavo Guerrero and then later laughed and said that they just use that as a ruse and that El Gran Marcus wasn't even booked but they since contacted El Gran Marcus and of course we hope Chavo Guerrero is well very soon and we got a great card next week you got a guest commentator it'll be controversial that's right we'll have Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Mr. Olympia next week here on Mid-South Wrestling our guest commentator as Bill told you will be Ted DiBiase, controversial, but he'll give us an insight. It'll be very interesting. He will not use it as a sounding board, as that's a rule here on Mid-South. 
We thank you so much for viewing us each week, especially now, until next week on this same station. For Bill Watts, I'm Boyd Pierce saying goodbye, everybody, until next week. Well, there it is, Mike, the close of the show. And with that, we wrap up another episode of Mid-South Wrestling and another episode of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. Want to remind everyone, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast, 605pod.com, or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. As I mentioned often, I usually post clips of these shows that Brian and I review and some of the things that we discuss here. And also, you can listen to Book in the Territory right now, twice per week at tinyurl.com slash bttpod, or just search Book in the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. On Thursday nights, we drop our Saturday night on TBS recaps as we get into the late 80s now. And on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time, we drop our Smoky Mountain Wrestling recaps. Smoky Mountain, though, is is coming to an end as of this airing i think we've only got about nine more episodes maybe 10 more to go so but come check it out it's the same thing almost the same thing brian and i do here uh where we go week by week through smoky mountain wrestling in chronological order however i will warn you the we are the unprofessional wrestling podcast for a reason the language is strong the jokes are terrible it's not politically correct but it's still fun nonetheless so give us a listen and brian thank you again for another great episode of the mid-south television review podcast Podcast. I want to mention one thing as we tease next week's episode. I love how Boyd Pierce mentions DiBiase being the guest commentator, but he also says he's been told through strict instructions not to be a sounding board uh, while he's on commentary. And I say that because at one point I think Boyd Pierce is trying to like uh, entice DiBiase to say something, and DiBiase throws that back at Boyd and says something like, well, I mean, I'm not using this as a sounding board. I'm not here to get myself over or something like that. So there you go. A little teaser for next week and some interplay with uh, with Boyd and DiBiase. Brian, thanks again. Another fun episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Your producer is Jace Nacarado. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!